This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Happy Friday. Welcome to Mile High Sports, Sandy and Sean. Sandy Clough is off today. He'll be back on Monday. Taking a little uh, break here. The calm before the proverbial storm. A week from tonight, the Denver Broncos preseason will start out in the uh, Valley of the Sun. They're pretty good for Denver, at least thus far in 2023. Rockets get it done over there against the Suns. Doesn't really matter in this case if the Broncos do well against the Cardinals in a preseason matchup because, you know, preseason. The concern primarily is about injury. And today, at least out at Broncos camp, the news coming across pretty good after a week in which they have lost Tim Patrick, their wide receiver, when they've lost inside linebacker Jonas Griffith to various tears and uh, injuries. In this case, getting a little healthier now. Uh, Frank Clark out of practice today. Javante Williams getting a bit of a run as well. So now you're getting to a team that looks like they're getting a little bit healthier. They're starting to round into form. That's obviously a good sign. And out at camp today, one of the parts that seemed interesting for the, for the most part, I guess, was the idea out of camp today that you had more of these seven-on-sevens. So two-minute drills today was expected. They were trying to do a little bit more, as you can presume. So a little more structure. And that's what Sean Payton is going to put together here for the Broncos camp. That part, I think, has been maybe the most obvious part of this camp going forward is how uh, timely everything is. Not a shock, but everything is so uh, remarkably on time. Out at camp yesterday, talking with Bruce Hurdle here on the mornings at Mile High Sports, and uh, we were pointing out, well, they probably ought to start stretching here just at about 10.30. We hear the whistle for them to pop out of stretching. We look at our watches. It's not about 10.30. It's 10.30. That's just right where he goes because that's what you're talking about in this camp. Uh, the idea that Russell Wilson's had a run in which he's been picked off on multiple days in a row. He did not yesterday. And he had one today, but it was deflected, a little bit different. But things have looked better. He really looked in sync with Greg Dulcich. And Dulcich is one of the guys that makes this offense very, very interesting. When you look at Sean Payton's teams over the course of his career, specifically with the Saints, obviously, the the players in that offense, we've talked about it a bit on this program, the idea that this is a, a coach that because he had Drew Brees, the idea was they were slinging it all over the field all the time, and that's why Drew Brees had his big numbers. That's what you can imagine because you think back and you think of all the highlight real plays. But the truth of the matter is that's actually not where he's always been. Though The offenses have been high. The offenses have almost always been highly ranked for Sean Payton. I'll run through them real quick. When he started in 2006, in just in, we'll do yardage, and I'll do it in sequence from 2006 on. Ranked in the NFL 1, 4, 1, 1, 6, 1, 4, 1, 2, 1, 2. And then the last years, 
kind of fell off a bit in yardage 8, 9, 12, and then his final year in 2021, 28. But top half of the league in all but two years, top 10 in all but two years. So, I mean, you're talking about an offense that had been pretty diverse, and the idea is, well, it's been passing, right? Well, yes, they were often in the top four in passing yards with Breeze, but rushing offense was often better than you think. Hovering around that middle most of the time of his tenure with the Saints. Running around the middle of the league, sometimes a little lower, in the pure rushing yards rankings. Now, when you look at the rushing with those teams, though, we know that he had a lot of teams with a lot of talent at running back, multiple running backs. I've talked about that as well. Usually fields a lot of two running back sets. Even in his final year, really used three at times in Alvin Kamara, Taysom Hill, and Mark Ingram. But if you go look over his time as the coach, and I'm not throwing the last couple of years out by any stretch, they do matter. But when you look at the peak, which is where the Broncos hired Sean Payton, hoping they will bring them back to the peak, Super Bowl contenders again. That's what you're looking for. You go from 2019 on, going back there, you run into other situations where you have multiple backs getting yardage. Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray back in 2019. Teddy Bridgewater actually started a few of those games when Drew Brees got hurt. But when you get into the receiving game, there seems to always be tight end as part of the equation. Jared Cook. In 2019, 705 yards, nine touchdowns. Now we talk about the rushing yards. That matters too because he throws to the running backs. Alvin Kamara that year had 533 receiving yards. And Latavius Murray, former Bronco, another 235. 700 receiving yards out of your top two running backs. It is notable that the Broncos' top two running backs in Javante Williams and Samaje Pirine are both outstanding receivers. Coaches tend to do what they know works. The 2018 season, it was Ben Watson. Not a terrific year, only 400 yards, but that year was a little odd. Michael Thomas soaked up everything, 125 catches that year, 1,400 yards. Alvin Kamara second with four, or pardon me, 709. Trick on Smith, only 427. But a tight end has always been a significant part of a Sean Payton offense, a big, big part of it at its peak. With rare exception, you've had those tight ends be a big deal. Yeah, they were trying to make Kobe Fleener happen at one point. That didn't happen. But for the most part, there's even been an array of the, the Jared Cooks of the world. Even Fleener, to be fair, did have a 600-yard year, uh, yard year back in 2016. And there's been performers all over the map. Now, they didn't keep him around a lot. Ben Watson, of course, was terrific. Prior to that, of course, they had Jimmy Graham. But he has had success with tight ends, multiple tight ends. When you look at the idea and say, okay, he's had to have Drew Brees as a quarterback. Well, okay, anytime you have one of the best quarterbacks ever played, it's going to make your coach better. Sean Payton's no different. When you have an Alvin Kamara, it's going to make you pretty good, too. Yeah, but he's done it with Mark Ingram. He's done it with Kyrie Robinson. 
He's gotten yardage from tight ends with Jimmy Graham, but also with Jared Cook, with Kobe Fleener, with Ben Watson, multiple guys. So is Russell Wilson peak Drew Brees? No, he is not. If he ever was. But there's no indication that the Broncos, when you're talking about the other talent, need a guy like that at any of the other positions. Would it be great to have a Drew Brees? Would it be great to have Russell Wilson look like he did a few years ago? Sure, and they hope that could happen. Maybe it could. I'm not counting on it, but I can't rule it out. But I can look at his history and look at a collection of players. Michael Thomas certainly stands out, but he's had injuries, so there were other guys that had to step up. But other guys that have just been kind of coming and going through New Orleans over the course of Peyton's tenure and still having success. So what that tells you, that part of it at least, has to do with scheme, has to do with play calling, has to do with design. By the way, remember Peyton's last year at coaching, 2021, in New Orleans, his leading receiver was Marquez Calloway. Calloway had 698 yards and six touchdowns. He's now a Denver Bronco. And with both Tim Patrick and K.J. Hamler out of the picture, he's probably a lock to make the roster. If Marquez Calloway is the third receiver on the Denver Broncos behind Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton and ends up with 698 yards and six touchdowns, Broncos fans probably should feel pretty good about their offense. Now that remains to be seen, whether they can get there. But over the last couple of days, they have looked more crisp. Is it perfect? No, it's never perfect. Sharpen seven on sevens to start. Dulcich and Wilson had a, a good rapport again. Roughly a 45-yard touchdown for Dulcich. Would have been one. If, you know, they'd counted such things. Those kind of deep post routes. The defense actually today kind of had a little bit of a, uh, a tougher job than they had in the previous, season, previous days of this camp. Javante Williams was back, had his moments. His workload is lessened, of course, as is Garrett Bowles. Peyton, for all of his tough guy mindset and all of that noise about how he's so old school and all that, which in many ways he is, he's very smart when it comes to the injury situation. He's made it very clear on day one, on day one of camp, guys that have injury issues or guys that are just older. Kareem Jackson, for example, he pointed out, those guys are going to have lighter workloads. They're going to be scheduled. They're going to be handled in a very particular manner. And if everything else in the way that Sean Payton runs camp is any indication, I would expect him to hold to it rigidly. And that's a good sign. You've heard Cody Rourke of My Life Sports come on this program and talk about Jaleel McLaughlin. The running back that's a little deeper down in the uh, Broncos depth chart coming out of what we used to call D2. He's looked really, really good. Smaller guy, very slippery. The concern is the size. The concern is how he can take hits at full speed at the NFL level. Those aren't happening here. They will happen in the preseason. That's one of the guys a week from today I'm going to be looking at. Javante Williams isn't likely to play in that game. Certainly hope not. John Payton indicated this week, week two might be an opportunity to see him. I would still expect it to be limited. But McCraps, McLaughlin gets a chance to shine. You'll see how he goes. He could go a long way next week towards making the roster. Those are where the preseason matters. It's the depth spot. 
by and large, when you come into most NFL training camps, even on a bad team like the Broncos were last year, 43 of the 53 spots are already spoken for, at the very least. It's usually closer to about 46. You're usually talking about, in training camp and in preseason, the final six to seven spots on the 53 are up for grabs. That's generally it. So when I look at the preseason, when I look at some of these things in training camp, I try to look at the guys that are in that mix. That's where I think preseason can be interesting. Not about the result. The result doesn't make any difference. Not even necessarily about certain plays because that has to do with the personnel. You're not always having ones against ones or twos against twos. You're not even having your twos necessarily aren't all twos. There's threes mixed in there sometimes as well. That's how it works. But there are some guys to keep an eye on. We'll go over that a little bit over the course of this program. But by and large, for NFL teams, those rosters are kind of set. You're talking about the fringe guys, the depth guys, and they find a way to get playing time based on their ability to, one, have in the uh, Liam Neeson mindset a particular set of skills and the ability to play special teams. And the latter is more important than the former. Both Sean Payton and George Payton have talked about the necessity for guys to be able to play special teams. When you see some of the players that get brought in, Fabian Moreau was brought in this week, cornerback for some veteran depth. Payton talked about his reps that he's had over the last year with the Giants, but also focused on the fact he knows he's a good special teamer. Those guys make the roster. Yeah, we know the stories about Terrell Davis making a big tackle on special teams play in Tokyo in the American Bowl, and it caught Mike Shanahan's eye, and, and it made, okay, and that's true, and that happens. But remember, that was in the 90s. It's 2023. That was almost 30 years ago. Scouting the expansion of television. Look, if you want to watch a player play on college in football, the whole the pitch for years, right? They're still figuring out now how to get it back at Notre Dame. Notre Dame used to just walk up to anybody and say, we're Notre Dame. You want to get seen? You should come here. And it worked. Well, now see, you if you can be seen anywhere, every, every top team gets shown on television somewhere, all of them. You can find D2 games. I get it. FCS, not FBS. Old habits die hard. You know what I mean. So the idea of of finding a complete sleeper that nobody saw, that's gone by the wayside. Even Julian McLaughlin, every single team knew who he was. Every team knew who he was. He walked out as the leading rusher in the history of the FCS. <laughs> I mean, you know who he is. He still went undrafted, and the Broncos picked him up. So there's no way to really hide guys anymore. Everybody knows about everybody. So the Terrell Davis surprising, 
because you didn't get to see him because he was behind Garrison Hurst for the most part at Georgia, but Georgia was on television, but you would have scouts at Georgia now and you'd be able to see. The Rod Smith opportunity to make the team, we've seen it, and the Broncos have had undrafted free agents make it all the time. But the world is very different 30 years later than it was. Television coverage is different. The internet is different. You, you. Yes, you listening right now. This thing is going to be a financial. You can just go to YouTube right now, call up any player you want. You can find highlights for them going back to high school. You can right now. Not hard to find information about players. So it's really about these last half dozen spots on the roster. When you look at the way that the Broncos are comprised, even though they're not a particularly good team, and they certainly weren't last year, 45 or so of those spots, even under a new coach who would like to see different things, they're taken. They're taken. And that's okay. You don't want to be scraping together a whole bunch of ideas on what your team might need to get on its roster right before the regular season starts. You'd like to know some of that as much as possible. And the Broncos do. But over the next week, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at refining. And you're looking at a situation where this team gets its offense installed with the players they know we're going to make it. And then over the next week or so, uh, leading up to the first preseason game, you start weeding out some of the guys that won't. That's what this is about. So don't make too much of it. But the offense is starting to come into form. It looked better. It looked sharper. It's all part of the process. My friend Anil Apiro is in the uh, studio today. Let's see if I can wrangle him. Let's see if we can talk a little bit of Broncos. Let's see if I can uh, grab him. Have Anilo in the studio and join us talking a bit about this next on My Life Sports. And I said, you know, instead of waiting for a good day to happen, you know, waiting around, the ups and downs, you know, I, I just said, look. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. I did manage to get him, by the way. Sandy Clough off today. He'll be back on Monday. But uh, Anilo Puro, often seen uh, in this chair for, for many, many evenings here. But back in your, I, I didn't take your chair. So your chair's the same. No, you're good. Yes, you're you still good. got your chair. Media by AP is the handle on Twitter, or if you used to call it whatever it's being called right now. I X? Guess. Is it X? You're not Xing? No. It sounds like Throw up the X. That's Brian's yeah, style. Sounds <laughs> something like uh, I would. It sounds like an HR violation. So yeah. I try to. I, I, I'm concerned about that at times. <laughs> I don't necessarily know there, but uh, wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some some of the interesting things going around. You know, the Broncos, of course, talking about preseason. I kind of broke that down, but boy, college uh, football right now. The Colorado Buffaloes. They shook some things loose. Yes, uh, they because did. now all of a sudden it seems like everyone's waiting for someone to jump. I give the Buffs a lot of credit for uh, one basically making the 
implied threat through the number post, which they did during the Pac-12 media days. Yeah. They said, we'd like to see the contract. We'd like it to come in at this amount. They wanted it to be third. Right. Uh, and, and they were saying they were looking forward to seeing it on th- on Thursday. Well, they found out on Wednesday, that the day before the meeting, that they weren't going to get it at all. And uh, within 48 hours, the buffs were gone. And, Just like that, huh? Yeah, and good for them. Uh, they had the leverage. They used the leverage. And they find themselves in a better spot. So uh, now, as of last night, the reports were the Big 12 uh, chancellors and presidents all got together and unanimously voted that Arizona mm-hmm. could join. This is what happened, by the way, with Colorado. They were approved before Colorado officially said they were leaving, uh, which is what you do. Right. Uh, Arizona makes the most sense. The second uh, we call it, we had kind of a sniff about a couple months ago that Colorado may really be leaving. Uh, Arizona made the most sense. It does look like they're next, but there's also the idea that Arizona State and Utah might like to come around as well. Uh, Oregon and Washington this morning, the idea was that the news was breaking that they were going to go to the Big Ten. Now there's a, some conflicting reports that Oregon may not because the Big Ten uh, doesn't want to do what they did with the Buffs, which is give them a full share mm. on year one of the revenue. They would like to give the other teams a partial share of the revenue on year one for Oregon. Apparently that's irked uh, a couple people Pretty there. Pretty big so. brand, Oregon. And that's Oregon's argument. Like we, we well, Honestly, I think, I, I think if I'm them, but you know what that is, Sean? I think it's a little bit of leverage tactic on the side of the conference of, hey, there is no Pac-12. Right. Pac- like, what do you, the what do you Pac-12 do? is dead. Usher in SDSU and CSU and expect that to fill up the gap? Absolutely yeah. not, especially with USC and UCLA. You guys are going to come to Apple with that? Yeah. So they, I mean, they They're better off just going with Lionel Messi. Mm-hmm. They're good. That's a good point. <laughs> Interesting. So, I mean, you know, the, the Pac-12 is, is dead. The question is what's left. And it, it was kind of interesting. Give San Diego State some credit in all this madness because – uh, early on, even before CU jumped, there was the idea that San Diego State might be considered right. to jump because USC and Southern Cal were leaving. And San Diego State, in part because they didn't, the $30 million exit fee is, is a big chunk for yes, San is. Diego State. But also perhaps understanding that we don't necessarily want to jump to a Pac-12 that's just about to disintegrate. Maybe we're better off where we are be one of the better teams in the Mountain West, and then let that play out. Yeah, well, and I was chatting about it with Tony Comas earlier today as well. Like, you know who has the leverage right now is the Mountain West. A little bit. They're, they're sitting here like, I mean, that has to be an inevitable merger. Out of the right? non-Power 5 conferences, they actually stand in a pretty good spot. They have some good brands. Right. Uh, they have, they have the, they sit in the region in between the Big 12 and the Big 10. They sit right in that kind of middle area. Yeah, I think there's some intrigue there, and I could see... Uh, as as odd as it sounds, some of the stragglers left in the in the remnants of the Pac-12 have to come to the Mountain West hat in hand and go, uh, yeah. what are you guys doing? It, it's an interesting dynamic, man. But the one thing I will I will say on the front of the buffs is I, I've seen a mixed bag of reviews. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Um, I love it. I love it, too. It's a couple thoughts. One, everyone's thinking about this from a football perspective, which is naturally going to be the case. Sure. You know how great the basketball is going to be? It was the best basketball conference in the country yeah. uh, by Ken Palm ratings on average last yeah. year. Now you're bringing in the Buffs who are, who are not yeah. Arizona, but they're good. And Arizona is, of course, a title contender. Right. Uh, th- that's by far the best basketball conference it's in gonna the country. It's going to be a fun. Like, I can't wait to see CU playing, you know, Kansas, K-State, right. Texas Tech, you know, like all these teams that I was watching leading up to the tournament. And in the tournament, I mean, that's going to be exciting, especially with some of the kids that they've got coming up, uh, you know, with, with Tad Boyle and company in the next year or so. So we'll see how that shakes out. But it's also like the way that I put it with Tony is good on CU for not being a sheep. The, the writing was on the wall and all they did was look at the, you know, take a look at the inventory and take a look around the landscape. Well, and and instead say, of waiting for someone else to move, right. they just it's they like waiting it. for the city to come condemn your house. Right. You've been living in it for 
decades, you know if it's not a good house. You know if it needs work. And I think they looked at Pac-12, and especially if you want to keep Coach Prime for the foreseeable future and not just have him be a one- or two-year coach and take a job at another big conference, you need to be in one of those big conferences. So I think it's it's a leverage move as much as anything for CU, and it's good for them to get out in front of it. And, and you may get that four corners anyway, literally uh, just as we started the show, just a couple moments before we started the show, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, Pete Thamel of, of ESPN reported that Utah and Arizona State have applied for formal membership to the Big 12 Conference. So uh, Arizona, we know, has already been, uh, Arizona's applied, Arizona's been admitted. It's a matter of that announcement coming, but it appears that at least on the side of Utah and Arizona State, they'd like to come along. The question is, does the conference want to do that? And that's where it gets tricky because yeah. in, in CU's case, part of the reason they jumped is because they knew on the first year they were there, they'd get a full share, even though they weren't in that conference when the new revenue deal was created with ESPN and with Fox. Do you think this sort of stuff changes? I mean, everything's negotiable. I, I have a feeling that, you know, the, the, the Big 12 can come back to its partners and say, hey, you know, we a year ago, we didn't have four other teams. Now we have four other teams, and they're interesting. We have the team that is getting the most attention in college football. We have a championship uh, winning team and championship caliber program in Arizona coming in. Arizona State's championship baseball team has won a title uh, before there, and we know about the good rivalry. And Utah, very quietly, is one of the top programs in the country yes. regularly with the top 25 football and basketball program. So I would think things are ready to be reopened, maybe. Yeah. No, and I mean, I, I think the one thing that I'm thinking about, especially with like some of these teams that are, it's funny because I go back to the initial point that you made. It is a little bit of, with the half share versus full share, it is a little bit of a, you snooze, you lose. Yeah. And CU did not snooze and they're not losing. And now you've got, I mean, look at Oregon, right? You know, we were just talking about them. I mean, that brand in the last, what year is it? 23? So call it the last 10 years, maybe a little bit further, 15 years. That has been one of the strongest brands in collegiate sports dating back to Chip Kelly, Marcus Mariota. about the money that comes into Herbert, the program through Nike. Nike. Like, I mean, I, I right. remember back in like, what was it, 2012? They were like started like the whole New Jersey every game trend. Right. And it's just like, it's interesting to see a program who has the gravitas as an Oregon, not being relegated, but like not necessarily being welcomed with arms wide open, despite their prowess, you know, historically of the last 10 years. And I don't know, I, I think it's interesting because I, I wonder what the, like, what is the Big 12 thinking right now? Like, what is the Big 12 or the Big 10, who I know, you know, there's some other conversation going on with some other schools. Like, what's the advantage? I understand with Oregon, but like ASU to an extent, like what it what what gets them That's off what the I pot? wonder, like Oregon, Oregon, I get Washington. I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I guess Washington's fine. I don't look at Washington as a particularly, I don't look at it as equal to Oregon. But I do understand having only one team on the West Coast doesn't make sense if you're going to expand all the way right. to the West Coast. I mean, Coast. you're going to have Rutgers driving or flying 3,000 miles to play Oregon in, fo in football games if it goes with the right, Big Ten. Right, right. And so they, they'd want to bring two in. Also, can we just, like, not do Big Ten, Big 12? Can we come up with, like, a different need, name? They need to come up with different names. Yeah, I'm so confused. Like, I always, like, I, I've talked about this with Danny all the time. If the Big like, Ten which adds one? Oregon and Washington, they're actually 18. There'll be 18 schools. If it's they had Oregon and Washington, if they can come to an agreement big that, conference. that uh, Oregon will take that. Basically, Oregon is going to be, Oregon will certainly be approved. The question, the yeah. sticky part is Oregon seems to be less enthused about a partial share. They want the whole share. And I think in. they're right to feel that way. They are. But at the same time, if you're the conference, you're like, or. Or what? what? Yeah. It's leverage. But weren't there murmurs, too, 
when USC and UCLA announced that Oregon was close behind. Yes, Oregon, so Oregon Washington were always Oregon could have Oregon could have gotten and in maybe on they should have lose you lose. Russell. Yep, that's the thing. They weren't. Mom taught me that aggressive. at a young age. And now they're they're having to fight for it. Maybe they'll be able to scrape for that, or maybe they won't. But it'll be interesting to see because if you're the conference, you don't have to. Oregon can whine and moan and complain as as much as they'd like. Right. But at the same time, if you're you know, if you're the, the Big Ten, you can say, well, you could try the Big 12, see if they'd like to give yeah. you something different. Or feel free to stay with what's left of the Pac-12, which, by the way, last I checked, by this time next week could be Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State. Oof. Wouldn't that be the entire conference? Oof. USC's gone. UCLA's gone. Oregon's gone. Washington's gone. Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah. That's, That's eight. That's tough, man. I mean, this That's is... That's eight. Sheesh. I'm trying to two think. Two thirds of the conference. Sayonara. I don't even know what you can compare this to. It's buying assets or essentially buying leverage. Yeah. So if, crazy. if you're if you're the if you're the big That's wild. if you're the Big Ten, you have the stronger pitch than the Big Twelve. They're comp they're, the big money goes to the SEC, then the big then the Big Ten, and then the Big Twelve. So they have the leverage to say, Yeah, you can maybe try the Big Twelve. They might take you, give you a full share, but you'd rather be in our conference. Yeah. And that means you're gonna have to suck it up. And if you're Oregon, you're going to have to do it probably. Yeah, I mean, you got to bite. It's a long play, right? Because uh, believe me, if if it really holds up too long, Stanford is not a bad brand for various reasons. And I could no, see Stanford no, no, hop no, in no, and go, no. we'll take a partial share because our endowment is ridiculous and we don't really need it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we can hop right in and do it that way. Good point. So I think that It's interesting. But, I mean, it is moving so quickly. Uh, really remarkable to see how it moves so fast. But for Colorado... It also ups the stakes a little bit. This is a team that I think now that the initial excitement of Deion Sanders coming to town for football uh, has kind of worn off. The reality is, at least thus far, and I don't know, you can't read too much into it at this stage, but their 2024 recruiting class thus far seems a little uh, comparatively thin, a little more than people might think. Now he's planning on using the transfer window, as he said. You know, he wants graduate transfers. In that portal. Right. So we'll see. But... The over-under at our friends at Superbook is three and a half wins. I'm taking the over on that, but not by much. I mean, I think getting into a bowl game is going to be tough. I have, I think they, I, I think they win five, which means that puts you in shouting range of stealing a game that you might not otherwise take, and then yeah. you're in. I also feel like it's going to be like, I, I don't see them starting slow and improving as the year goes along. I think they have to start fast if they want to get that over. Like, I feel like if they compound a couple losses off the bat, TCU, Nebraska, whatever it might be, leading up to Stanford in October. Not that they wave the white flag, but maybe the the motivation goes down a little bit. But you want that infectious energy of, hey, maybe we could beat TCU. Hey, we just beat Nebraska, and and, and generate that momentum as you move forward throughout the season. And, and we all know it, you know, just from the press conferences, seeing him play throughout his career, and of course at Jackson State, nobody knows how to seize momentum better and capitalize on that than Coach Prime. So. That's where I'm so interested, much like the Broncos who have to get off to a fast start to get kind of some of the critics. But what CU is doing under Coach Prime is so different, and if it mm-hmm. works, it will be revolutionary, that success out of the gate, I think, will really pay dividends down the line and help you know carry the momentum over time as opposed to it being a flash in the pan. I've said this, Sean. I, I do think, like I think it was Venables from, from Oklahoma. We've seen a lot of other coaches, Oregon, just earlier this week. Uh, you know, kind of throwing shade towards Coach Prime and CU's way. I, I really do believe that some of these schools, some of these coaches, some of these programs are afraid if Dion comes in. into year one and has success. Yeah, I think that's very real. I think there's a concern for, for a couple reasons. One, at least 
two weeks ago, these teams were considering competing going forward in the conference, which neither will be in the same conference anymore, more than likely. But you're right. I think the the trick for other coaches is the rule of thumb, right, is you have to give a guy an opportunity to bring in his own, graduate right. his own class. Now, that hasn't been the reality for a while. Uh, we haven't seen that yes. for a, a bit, and not just to Colorado, but anywhere. But the part that I think is interesting is I think you're exactly right. If Dion comes in and in year one, uh, completely turns the team over, top to bottom, right, and competes and gets into a bowl after being the worst Power 5 team one in, in, in football. There is no question about that. They were the worst. And if you bounce back into a bowl the next year, yeah, the worry is, man, I was expecting to be able to ramp up, and, and I've been telling my bosses, well, we have to give it another two years to bring these guys in. All of a sudden, that, that goes out the window. And I would be panicked if I was a coach because most coaches don't have the cachet of Deion Sanders. And the argument is, well, I could never do that because I'm Dan Lanning, who's had great success, yeah. but at the same time, I don't get Oregon's spring practice bumped over the two-time defending champions on ESPN. Deion Sanders does. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting. We, I, I've been on the show with you previously, obviously, coming up here in My Life Sports Magazine. I got a one-on-one -on -one exclusive interview with Shador Sanders. Right. And one of the questions I tweeted it out on my on my Twitter account or X account earlier today at Media by AP as like a little bit of a tease. I asked Shador, "Is you and your family coming to Colorado, coming to Boulder, and Boulder willing to you know welcome you with arms wide open? Is that essentially an example of right place, right time?" And Shador goes on to talk about you know people don't understand what my father does all the time, but if there's a vision, he's a visionary. He believes in it. We follow suit. You know, I think he he said something along the lines of he's the driver, I'm the passenger. Uh, you know, go check it out at Media by AP. And it's just one of those things where Auburn had an availability. And, you know, these SEC schools weren't ready for a Deion Sanders. CU is in the perfect place. Middling program coming off maybe the worst year uh, in, frankly, in program history. Desperate. And, exactly and, and right. No, nothing to lose. And, if, if it didn't work and the, they wasn't mm -hmm. able to get the change of the transfer portal, you can only lose one fewer game. I mean, think about some of these head coaching vacancies. You know, the, it's not it's not like he was... He chose CU over these other schools. I'm, I mean, there, maybe there was a couple in the mix. CU was but. the only Power 5 school that gave him. It was CU in Cincinnati. Yeah. And the difference is, and, and I know this, I talked to people about it. in Cincinnati? Uh, well, he it, it would, it would have considered Skyline it. Skyline Chili. You, well, you're in the same, you'll be in the same conference soon enough. True. So you'll get that. But the the, the fit was that Deion Sanders' style of coaching is he's that CEO type of coach. He wanted a massive assistant coach pool of up to $7 million. He wanted that pool for his assistant coaches. Uh the idea of Dion being disruptive and that much money for assistance right off the bat, uh, schools were nervous about it. And even Cincinnati thought maybe that's more than we want to do. But if you were Colorado, you're like, okay, but that allowed them to go right. grab Sean Lewis who quit his head coaching job right. at Kent state to take over as the offensive coordinator. That's that, and that was required for the way Dion operates. Colorado right. could take that risk because they simply had nothing to lose. And then no matter what they do this season, it was paid off. Dion Sanders contract over the course of the, if you fill, if he completely fulfills it, will be about forty million dollars. You couldn't pay for the PR and visibility yep. that the University of Colorado football program has got for ten times that amount. Well, what's the saying? Takes money to make money, you know. And, and and maybe on paper it's like this big number of oh my gosh, forty million over this many years. Like how are we going to make that back? You got two games already sold out, Stanford, Nebraska. You mentioned the spring game getting bumped for the two-time defending champion, Georgia yeah. Bulldogs. I, I I mean, the program has never been more relevant. They, I mean, today, ESPN, four-letter network, Dion, Coach Prime. Right. I, I mean, I've never, I've lived here for about 10 years now. 
and I understand that CU's been a little up and down. It's not like it was in the 90s. This is the team. You and I have talked about this off-air as well. The Broncos are a big deal with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. Nuggets just won a championship. Have you know a year removed from a Stanley Cup final. I would make the argument from a ceiling perspective of interest, CU takes the cake of teams yes. in this town. I don't think they'll think get there that. this year. I don't think so either, but in regards to what but it could if be. if the talent, if the if the Travis Hunters, the Kamani McLeans, uh, the, the, all the, the players they've brought in, if they mature and this is a top 25 team in 2024, I think you're exactly right. I think the, the buzz here for this. We coming. It would be as big as anything, and you're talking about a team that's two years removed from winning the Stanley Cup, a team that's one year away yeah. from winning the title in the NBA. First NBA I- championship. There's only one coach prime, though, and I go back to that point about maybe revolutionizing the coaching game. It's not like you can just go to insert former ex-player here, no. Ray Lewis, or whatever it might no, be. Someone you can't. There's only one Deion Sanders, and let's see if it works. And, and to your point, if it doesn't work out, what, what what's the Michael Jordan quote? I can accept failure, but I can't accept not trying. Right. Something along those lines. At least you took a big swing. And, and if you see, and then you're in a better conference to. either way. And you're in a, you're in a better conference, paying you more money, directly made you money, and got attention back for the university. Which even if that ends up not being yes, Deion Sanders down the road, it still helps because your visibility is that high for a team that, quite frankly, had become irrelevant on the national scene yeah. when it comes to fo- college football. Nilo Piero joining us. Uh, Media by AP is the Twitter account. Make sure you give him a follow and. Uh, we'll Soon enough, by the way, that Miley Sports Magazine with the uh, Ooh, I'm excited. Sanders, among others, of which we will not tease right now, will be out uh, soon enough. So have a good weekend. Thanks so much. Appreciate you, my friend. We will be back with more at the top of the hour. Justin Adams, former buff and a friend from CBS News Colorado, will join us. But we'll talk more about the Denver Broncos in their final week of camp before preseason begins in full. Talk about that on Miley Sports. Yeah. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And himself and everybody around cause he ain't got nobody to listen the Denver Broncos out at Dove Valley. It's funny, I'm going to need in there a little bit talking about a Twitter or X, I realize. Maybe I'm maybe I'm starting to get old or maybe I don't care, but I realize, like, okay, I'm not going to call it Twitter. Nobody gets confused. I say the Broncos play at Mile High Stadium. Nobody ever gets confused. I say the Broncos are out at Dove Valley. Nobody ever gets confused. Maybe we overthink these things. Maybe, maybe you're a... Uh, Big branding sponsorships aren't as valuable as everyone thinks they are because uh, everyone called Ball Arena Pepsi Center for like a couple of years afterwards. Yeah, nobody got confused. Give it to Coors Field about the only thing that goes right with the Colorado Rockies. That was a smart move. I mean, that made sense. Colorado and also, by the way, Coors got ahead of it and had a 99-year naming rights deal. So that's not going anywhere. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of the things you notice on a Friday. You're like, wait a minute. Simplify, right? Don't worry about overcomplicating things. Simplify it. You know where the Broncos play? The giant, enormous football stadium in the middle of downtown. That one, not the other one. Oh, that's right. There are no other ones. 
So, yeah, nobody gets lost. The Broncos won't be there for preseason for a couple of weeks. They will be in Arizona a week from today. And some of the things to keep an eye on, obviously, given the receiver depth now shortened with Tim Patrick's injury that will end his season, with K.J. Hamler's pericarditis that led him to being waived, although they call that a procedural move. Procedural moves are usually ones that keep you on the roster. So perhaps the Broncos have interested in bringing K.J. Hamler back when he's healthy, but they didn't feel comfortable. They felt comfortable enough to just let him go entirely. So we'll see. But looking for the depth of wide receiver is going to be interesting. Depth at running back will be interesting. Pass rush will be interesting. Pass rush has been an interesting part of this entire training camp, but especially the last week when you start to get to the seven-on-sevens. Remember, by the way, seven-on-sevens. I'm not completely discounting it, but it's seven-on-seven. Actual football players are 11-on-11. You're not actually allowed to tackle people to the ground. I mean, it's it's football-like, okay? It's football-ish. It is not a stand-in for NFL football. But when Randy Gregory has been healthy, he looks disruptive as always. What I think is interesting, there are a couple different guys that are making moves. One is Matt Henningsen. Henningsen, sixth rounder from last year, immediately jumped over Ioma Vazarike, who was the fifth rounder from that year. Of course, Vazarike removed himself from the equation by betting on a whole bunch of NFL football games and Broncos games in particular. And... He's out for the year. But Henningsen has looked pretty impressive. That may be important because on that defensive line, the opposite of Zach Allen, who's maybe been, in my mind, maybe the story of camp, it's presumed to be Frank Clark. Frank Clark was back at practice today, hadn't been practicing the previous couple days, came out, to practice today, uh, a little bit late, 20 minutes late, and did some of the individual work. Uh, according, I, I did not see it, but according to Parker Gabriel of the Denver Post, Gabriel wrote, during the stretch lines, he had an animated conversation with Vice President of Player Health and Performance, Bo Lowry, and Player Development Vice President Ray Jackson that lasted quite a while, end quote. Sean Payton, when asked about it, said there was nothing to report. But Clark is expected to be the starter there. But for whatever reason, whether it's injury or who knows what's going on, someone else may need to step up and do that. So watching guys like Henningsen step up, that's good. Clark's listed as a linebacker. He's he's not. He's playing with his hand down. He's going to play him. So finding someone opposite Allen there is going to be important as well, not only just for this season, but for the longer term. Clark's on a one-year deal. Broncos are looking for a a longer-term solution as well. Jonathan Harris has looked good at moments. But I think Henningsen has stood out the most in that role. Also interesting, and very, very promising, is the burst from Nick Benito. Nick Benito has looked, uh, if not ready to play a full NFL game, that's tough to say. But as, uh, as they like to say in football terminology, his get-off is legit. He's to maximum speed very quickly, and he's timing... Snaps a little bit better. Uh, there have been times this camp in which he would have 
jumped off sides. I happened a couple times on, on Wednesday, had it been an actual play. You work on that. But, boy, his, the burst is real. If Benito can step up, that's obviously a major advantage. Baron Browning, as we know, injured. We'll find out when Browning can come back later, but it won't be until the regular season, presumably. That's an opportunity for Benito to take that kind of job and run with it. What that would mean for Browning, you know, it's tough to say, but you're talking about Randy Gregory, you're talking about Baron Browning, you're talking about Nick Benito, all guys in that similar type of role. The edge rusher. Browning is hurt. Gregory is, look, I'd like to find a way to dance around it. Gregory's always hurt. Gregory has yet to play a full season. Gregory has yet to play even close to a full season. So Benito's ability to improve quickly is going to be incredibly important. Pass rush for this Broncos team is going to be critical. We've talked about it a little bit before. This team does not have, they have promise, they have promise in the pass rush game. They sure do. Production, no. This is not a team that has shown with the players on this roster that they have a lot of production when it gets when it comes to getting to the quarterback. They just don't. The numbers aren't there. They're probably going to have to find a way to do it somewhat by committee. If, if Zach Allen happens to blow up and become a double-digit sack guy, that's fantastic, but you don't count on that. You don't expect him to jump from four and a half to 11. So you're probably going to have to get it done in, in groups. Clark's going to have to do some. Gregory's going to have to do some. Brownie's going to have to do some. Benito's going to have to do some. They're going to have to find the ability to get after the quarterback. This is an AFC West that has two of the five best quarterbacks in football in it, in Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. This is an AFC that is loaded at quarterback. Have to find a way to get pressure on the quarterback. Keep in mind, I don't always look at sacks. You shouldn't either. Sacks are great, but it's pressures that matter. Sacks cause punts. Pressures cause turnovers. So keep in mind when you're getting to the preseason game next week, pressures is what you want to look for. But even the Broncos' pass rush has not been particularly adept at that thus far either. In their career, they just haven't had guys that have consistently been able to do that. But it's starting to look a little bit as if there's some signs of life. These last couple of days of camp have been interesting. The Broncos look like they're rounding in form a little bit. Are they perfect? No. Are they even close to perfect? No. Do they look like a team that's going to win the AFC West? No. The talent isn't there. But that's not Sean Payton's job. Sean Payton's job is to take the talent that is there and get them to their top level of performance. And it looks like that is on the way already, including with Russell Wilson. There's receiver depth that I think can be effective. Again, you're you're looking at promise versus production. That's one of the big questions about the Broncos here. And you see it all the time in sports. You can look at, oh, well, we have all these young guys. Look, happens in baseball all the time. The Rockies do it all the time. But even better teams than the Rockies do it all the time. You bring in two, three young guys and expect them to all blossom at once. It rarely happens. The Nuggets have three, I think, very good draft picks in this draft. Do I expect all three of them to immediately blossom into solid NBA players? No, that would be a fool's errand. No, I don't. Do they have the ability to? Sure. Should you expect it? No, because the odds are it doesn't work that way. Football is the same way. 
There's promising talent at receiver. There's promising talent at pass rush. They're not all going to blow up at once. But you do need them to start getting better. And that's happening. And you can hear that. That's the sound of football coming back. And that means it's time to place your preseason bets with our friends at Superbook Sports. Superbook's the most trusted name in Vegas, and you can use promo code Mile High to score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. And that means win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code Mile High. That's an easy one. You know, where they play the football games, not the brand name, but you know what I mean, Mile High. Don't miss out this football season. Win some money with Superbook Sports and the promo code Mile High. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, it's always nice to talk with someone who's played the game, not only at a very important position for the Denver Broncos, but as tight ends and Greg Dulcich having a big performance today. Chris Manhurts as a blocking tight end, a Sean Payton project that he brought with him, essentially, even though he's not a roundabout voyage. The tight end position for the Denver Broncos is going to be critical. We'll have an opportunity to talk about it with a guy that's played that very role up at the University of Colorado. at CBS News Colorado's Justin Adams. And he'll join us next on My Life Sports. All right, all right, all right.